Chapter Eight of the Diamond Cross Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nigel Carrington. The Diamond Cross Mystery by Chester K. Steele. Chapter Eight. The Diamond Cross. Colonel Ashley, there was a formal questioning note in the merchant's voice. That is my name, yes, sir, uh, Mr. Grafton. As though to refresh his memory, the colonel glanced at the card on his desk. You are a private detective? Yes. Mr. Grafton was evidently sparring for time. He seemed uneasy. He looked uneasy. And it required no very astute mind to know that he was uneasy. Out of his element. For all the world like a gasping fish on the bank, was the simile the colonel used. "'I have a case I wish you would take up for me,' went on the merchant. "'It is somewhat peculiar. "'Most cases that come to us are,' and the colonel smiled. "'And it is delicate. "'I could say that of nearly every one also. "'So that I may rely on your silence and uh, discretion?' "'Sir!' the colonel fairly bristled. I, "'I beg your pardon, I should not have asked that, "'but I am all upset over this matter.' Then, sir, let me ease your mind by stating that whatever you tell me will be in strict confidence, as far as lies in my power to so observe it. I cannot compound a felony, so if you have in mind the disclosure of anything that would incriminate you— Incriminate me? Yes, or involve you in any way. If you have anything like that in mind, please don't tell me about it. I should feel obliged to make use of my knowledge— but if it is a matter in which you wish my advice, then I certainly do need advice, Colonel. I have often heard you spoken of, and I have read of more than one of your cases, so when I got in this, well, I may as well call it trouble, I at once thought of you. I am fortunate, I believe, in seeing Colonel Ashley himself, who I understood had retired, or is perhaps about to retire. I came here prepared to pay any reasonable amount." and the merchant drew out his wallet. The colonel held up a protesting hand. "'Please don't, not yet,' he said. "'I cannot accept a retaining fee until I have heard more of your case. It may be that I cannot serve you. Give me some inkling of what you want. I hope you are not in serious trouble.' "'It is serious for me.' "'Then I hope I can help you. Please be as frank as you think best.' The franker you are, the fewer questions I shall have to ask. Go on. Well, then, I want to find a certain valuable diamond cross. A diamond cross? Yes, I don't know just what it is worth, but I believe a small fortune. And was it stolen from you? No, though I do own a store where jewellery is sold, we don't carry an expensive line. This cross belonged to uh, a friend of mine. She had it on when we were out walking together, and, uh, <clears throat> well, it became damaged, and I asked her to let me take it to have it repaired. Well, nothing very complicated or troublesome in that. I suppose the cross was stolen from you while it was temporarily in your possession, and you don't like to let your friend know for fear she may suspect you. Such things have happened. Did you ever read de Maupassant's Diamond Necklace? I never did. I'd advise you to. Also, Walton. Is he a jeweller? <laughs> Lord, no. Ah, but I beg your pardon. Let us keep to the subject. So, you don't dare tell your friend the diamond cross is gone? Oh, yes, she knows it. 
Then why the worry? Except about getting it back. Well, there are complications. You see, her husband... Oh, ho! Oh. There was a world of meaning in that exclamation. Aaron Grafton turned a deep red and bit his lips. Colonel Ashley saw his annoyance. Look here, exclaimed the old detective. I really shouldn't have said that, but we detectives are used to all sorts of complications, and more than once they have to do with women. Often enough, there's nothing more serious than a little indiscretion. But I can see where outsiders might make trouble, particularly husbands. I take it, then, that you and the lady were out together without her husband knowing it. I hope he doesn't know of it, for though, on my honour, there was nothing wrong in our being together, it might be hard to make him believe that. Oh, I quite agree with you, particularly if he were jealous, as many husbands are. So you want me to try to get this diamond cross belonging to the married lady back to you without her husband knowing anything about it? That's it. Where were you when you were robbed of it? I wasn't robbed of it. I never said I was. Oh, I beg your pardon. I must have inferred that. Please, go on. And if you don't mind my asking you, kindly get to the point. I beg your pardon. Perhaps I'm beating about the bush. Well, I'll be as frank as I can. Do you want me to give names? It would be better, since I already know yours. I shall keep them in strict confidence, however, now that I am fairly well assured there is no ulterior motive in your visit to me. Proceed. Well, then, the diamond cross, which is worth I don't know how many thousand dollars, belongs to Mrs. Cynthia Larch, the wife of Langford Larch, who keeps a large hotel in Colchester. I know the place. Go, go on interrupted the Colonel Ashley. I've stopped there on fishing trips, he added, as his caller looked a bit surprised. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, this was Mrs. Larch's cross. It is a family heirloom, I believe, though many suppose her husband gave it to her for a wedding present. That's not so, however. I know Cynthia had the cross before she was married. You call her Cynthia? I've known her since we were both children. I see. Pray, go on. In fact, we were sweethearts, continued Grafton, and were engaged. But the match was broken off by her father. I was only a struggling clerk then, and I never dreamed I'd get on as I have. Nor did she, I fancy, though she was willing to take me as I was. But her folks made trouble. They brought such pressure to bear on her that she gave in and married Larch, who was and is wealthy, but whose social position was beneath hers. Don't think I'm telling you this out of mere jealousy. Aaron Grafton went on, and his manner was earnest. I loved her deeply and sincerely. I do yet, but in a way that is perfectly right. I've not told her so, but he was silent a moment. I went away after she threw me over, he resumed. I couldn't stand it to be near her and see her going out with him. But I came back, though the old wound still hurt. I tried not to let her see. We became friends again. In fact, we've never ceased to be friends. Perhaps I've acted foolishly, but of late I've seen her quite often. I began to feel that her married life was not happy. I took pains to inquire and learn that it was not. I tried to make her a little happier by talking to her. Once or twice she met me and we walked together in the woods. The colonel looked sharply at his caller. Oh, for God's sake, don't put any wrong construction on it. 
I'd give my very life to make her happy. And do you think I'd— I don't doubt you for a moment, sir. Thank you, said Mr. Grufton. It is good to know that there is still some truth and honour in the world, and that a man and woman can be friends, though the circumstances seem peculiar. He paused a moment to overcome his emotion, and resumed. Well, Cynthia and I are friends, good friends. It was to talk over what course was best for her to pursue under certain circumstances that she and I walked out together. We went in secret, for there are gossiping and wagging tongues in Colchester as elsewhere. And if I, the leading merchant in the town, was seen to be alone with pretty Cynthia Larch, whose husband was a friend of judges and politicians who frequent his hotel, there would be talk little short of scandal. I quite agree with you. So you walked in secret? Yes. And it was while we were out together that the cross she was wearing became unfastened and fell. I most clumsily stepped on it, greatly marring the setting. She was distressed, of course, but I said I would take it to a jeweller's and have it repaired without anyone being the wiser. She agreed that was best. So I took it to Mrs. Darcy's place, and she was found murdered, broke in the old detective quickly. Aaron Grafton started from his chair. How in the name of heaven did you know that? he cried. I thought that not a soul but I knew it. I did not even tell Cynthia. The explanation is simple, said the colonel. I will be almost as frank with you as you have been with me. I know more about you than you think. Wait a moment. The colonel stepped into a closet. He made a few rapid changes in his clothing and took off a tiny bit of eyebrow which had been added to his own a short time before. Then he confronted the merchant. Ha! Huh, the man I saw in the jewellery store, gasped Grafton. I remember now seeing you there the day I went to look for the diamond cross and didn't find it said the detective. I wondered what so perturbed you, but now I know. At first I did think you might know something of the murder. God forbid, said the merchant earnestly and reverently. Amen, echoed the colonel. You've told such a straightforward story that I cannot doubt you. And that is why I revealed myself to you. But you must keep my secret if I am to help you. I am known in Colchester as Colonel Brentnell, having registered at the hotel under that name. I will keep that name for the present. I followed you here. In fact, I only entered this office a minute or two ahead of you. So it was to find the diamond cross you visited the store of the murdered woman. Yes. When I damaged the cross by stepping on it, I thought my old friend Mrs. Darcy would be the best one to keep my secret. I took the cross to her the night before she was killed, and she promised to have her cousin fix it without telling him whose it was and get it back to me secretly in a day or so. I thought Cynthia could then wear it again without her husband knowing it had ever been out of her possession. But the murder changed all my plans. As soon as I could, I went to the shop to look for the cross. I thought perhaps it might have been put in one of the showcases or laid on a shelf, perhaps forgotten. Really, I was so distressed I didn't know what to think. I did not want to tell anyone what I was looking for, so I went about quietly. But I could not find it. Then I was obliged to ask Darcy about it, secretly, of course, and without hinting as to the ownership. But he'd never seen it. He said Mrs. Darcy had not given it to him, nor asked him to repair it. Nor was it in the shop, as far as he knew, and he went over all the stock to furnish a list to the police, so they could tell whether or not there'd been a robbery. And there was none? None unless you call the taking of the diamond cross a theft, for that alone is missing. 
and I'd give half my fortune to get it back. Cynthia's husband may ask about it at any moment, and what excuse can she give? It is rather a ticklish matter, agreed the detective. Well, I'll see what I can do. First, I thought you wanted me to work on the murder case, but as I am already engaged on that, to try to clear Darcy, I can as well include the Diamond Cross mystery also. I wonder if they have any connection. I don't see how they can have. Mrs. Darcy may merely have put the cross away secretly, and it may take a careful search of the place to find it. Maybe so. I'll have to nose around a bit. There came a knock on the office door. Come, called out the colonel. His clerk handed him a telegram. Tearing it open, the detective read a message from one of his agents in a distant western city. It said, Spotty Morgan, arrested here today. Big diamond cross found on him. Do you want him? Do I want him? fairly yelled the colonel. I should say I did. Here, get me Blake on the long distance. This is no time for a wire. I've got to telephone. And he hurried to a private booth in a back office, leaving Grafton to himself. After he had telephoned, Colonel Ashley sat in silence in the booth, musing. Now I wonder, he said to himself, if Grafton is telling me the truth. Almost anyone would believe his story. It sounds straight enough. And yet I can't take any chances. I guess I mustn't lose sight of you, Aaron Grafton. And perhaps Larch isn't so bad a chap as you'd have me believe. Trust a disgruntled lover for saying the worst about the other chap. Yes, I can't afford to take any chances. You may know a bit more about this murder than you're telling me, even considering the latest from my friend Spotty. Yes, you may be playing a double game, Mr. Aaron Grafton. End of chapter 8 Recording by Nigel Carrington